Hey, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, comment, and share as it'll help others find the ADHD Kids Can Thrive podcast. Today, my guest is Pat Awesome from Partnership to End Addiction at DrugFree.org. Teens and young adults with ADHD may dabble in substances that put themselves at risk of substance abuse or addiction. Parent education around this topic is a very important step, and Pat has agreed to educate us all a little bit more. Please enjoy our conversation. Let's start with my very first question, which is why are, as a person with ADHD, more at risk for substance abuse? Well, let me just start with, I think ADHD offers a lot of potential. So sometimes when we think about people like Walt Disney, right, or Bill Gates who have ADHD, you know, there's a lot of talent there. And that talent comes from that creativity side of many ADHD kids. But also many ADHD kids are very impulsive. They're sensation seeking, they're risk takers. You know, I can tell you a friend's um, son decided at the age of 15 before he had a driver's license that wouldn't it be cool to drive the car and thought he was in reverse and instead he was in drive and ran through their garage door and a few things like that. So, I mean, you know, you got to give it to them. I mean, they, they're really curiosity seeking, um, looking for that thrill. And that puts them in a position where often they're more inclined to try substances. And when you try substances, when you are a teenager, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, before the age of 25, when the brain is fully developed, you're more likely to have problems with substance use than if you wait until at least you're 21 or older. Okay. So that sounds challenging as a teenager to wait and pause, especially when you're impulsive and wanting to take risks and maybe not thinking about how those risks are going to impact you. True. Right. The one thing I would say though, is that if you look at teen substance use over the last several decades, it's actually on a huge decline. So in the 1980s, the number of high school seniors who were abstaining, so not using any substances at all, um, were, it's, the number was around 16%. In 2021, that number was 64%. So you've got more oh, fantastic. and more Right, so you've got more and more kids who are not drinking, smoking, using other drugs, which is right. really great. That That's is really- good news. That's good news for the ADHD kids too, right? With yes. Peer pressure, absolutely. which we'll get into. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. So Pat, one other question just directly related to ADHD is um, if, a, if a person with ADHD needs to take ADHD medication to help themselves, um, does that make them more prone to addiction overall? Research says unequivocally no. So the idea though, is that you have to take the medication as prescribed. So that's really, really important. Uh, some kids skip taking their medication or they, they give it to friends who think that it might help them with focusing or what have you. But the, the research shows that, that kids who are on, you know, Adderall, Ritalin, Concerta, any of the ADHD medications 
are no more at risk. And in fact, um, arguably, if you're not treated, untreated ADHD is of a concern. So it's really important for the kids to be um, evaluated and, and a treatment plan put together that's going to meet their needs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, just one other thing I would add, Kaiser Permanente, which is a large uh, healthcare provider on the West Coast, did a study where they looked at 40,000 kids and they looked at their medical records from the time they were born until they were 18 and looked at one of the aspects that they looked at was ADHD. And they found that kids who are treated for ADHD before the age of 12 are no more likely to develop a substance use problem than any other kid. So oh, that catch, catching it early and treating it early is just incredibly important. Yeah. It, okay. That makes sense because there's a lot of aspects to the ADHD brain. Sure. Right. Sure. That can attract you to substance use. Right. Okay. So Pat, I'm really looking forward to you educating us and updating us on uh, the status of drug use with teens and young adults and how as a parent, we can help our child kind of navigate this road, if you will. So can you update us on the status of drug use, drug of choice, if you will, nowadays in 2023? In 2023, it's what you would typically expect. Lots of kids are drinking you know, as a, as a substance of choice. Um, unfortunately, they don't, you know, like sip a whiskey or smell the bouquet and a wine. <laughs> they're binge drinking, which means that they're drinking four or five drinks in a very short period of time. It puts them at higher risk for car accidents, um, unwanted sex, um, maybe a post on social media that they might later on totally regret yeah. and things of that nature. So alcohol is still up there. So it's really important for people to be aware of alcohol symptoms of alcohol poisoning. Second thing is vaping. Um, so sadly, vaping, especially of nicotine, but also nicotine and marijuana. Um, in 2022, we had two and a half million middle school and high school kids vaping. And wow. it, it's almost like the nicotine arms race. They're making the products more concentrated with more nicotine in them. And what's incredibly concerning is that almost half the kids are vaping daily, which puts them more at greater risk of going on to cigarette smoking, using other substances, uh, really having problems with attention and focus later on down the line, because while right. nicotine in the short term might help with focus longer term, it doesn't. Uh, also, Sometimes kids think it helps with their anxiety. And, and again, it has the opposite effect over time. And then of course, marijuana. As legalization of marijuana crosses the country, it's easier to access. And it also, I keep calling it the 50 shades of marijuana because if you look at the products, they proliferated greatly. And yeah. so you've got tinctures and salves and edibles and drinks and you know oils and so forth. Um, so there, there are a lot of different products on the marketplace. And I think the other thing that's important for families to know is if you tried marijuana in the 1980s or 1990s, it is not the same thing that is out there today. 
in the 90s, the uh, percentage of THC, which is the um, chemical in marijuana that gives you that high, yeah. was around 4%. Now you can find it in, in leaf marijuana, right, that you're going to smoke in a joint or long or something like that, would be closer to the 20%. 25%. I've seen it even oh, wow. higher. Okay. And if you were to look at the oils, the concentrates that are often used in bait pens, it can be 60, 70%. And there are other products on the market that are 90%. It, it just, the THC factor is huge. And the concern is that it leads to possibly psychosis. There's a mm -hmm. link to schizophrenia and there are issues with increased and elevated anxiety and depression. So it, back at the ranch, it's it's alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana are the three most popular yeah. um, drugs. Okay. And so let me ask you, what are the signs if um, your child's been binge drinking? I should say more like your teen or young adult, if you need to, you know. That they've been binge drinking? Yeah. So typically, well, first of all, often the kids get alcohol from home. So one of the things that's really important for parents to do is to make sure that their alcohol is locked up. Um, that said, you know, a lot of kids are really good at getting fake IDs or asking an older sibling or somebody like that to get alcohol for them. So sometimes you find, you know, beer cap bottles or beer cap, um, beer caps and backpacks, or you might find uh, water bottles with vodka in them and things like that, you know, or other signs of, you know, blatant signs of drinking. Um, certainly you're going to see people with slurred speech. Um, sometimes, you know, they're, they're stumbling or what have you. Sometimes it's as simple as giving your kid a hug and you can smell alcohol on their breath. Yeah. So okay. those are often the signs. Okay. And so here's my next question, Pat, how did we lose this um, war, if you will, on tobacco? Like how did this happen? where we have a whole nother generation flirting around with nicotine. Yeah, it's really, it's such a travesty in my opinion. It, you know, vape pens came out, especially Juul, right? Which was yeah. very popular several years ago. And it's this sleek little device and it had a wonderful flavors associated with it. So you could get, you know, mango and uh, cool mint and fruity, fruit medley and flavors like that. So now you, you combined nicotine and, and the way they designed the product was it had nicotine salts in it, which makes it a smoother inhale, if you will. So it's not like you're coughing like crazy and you don't have that problem with the back of your throat. So you've got a sleek design. It's, it's easy to conceal. And you had tons of social media influencers who are using the product and promoting the product. In some cases, Jewel was giving out free samples. So arguably, you know, many people have said, you know, the protective agencies that could have stepped in earlier were asleep at the switch. I don't know. I mean, at this point, it's sort of like whack-a-mole because there's so many companies out there that are producing disposable vape pens that also are flavored, even though we ban flavors. And it's just really easy to access and really easy to conceal use. Yeah. Okay. So in a little bit, we're going to get to what parents can do. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about marijuana. Is marijuana addictive? So again, unequivocal answer is absolutely addictive. So the signs of addiction are things like 
you are using more and more of the product uh, than you used to to get the same kind of high. So your body develops what's called tolerance and you basically have to use more of, of more marijuana in order to feel the same way that you were feeling when you first started using it. You end up in situations where people are using it despite it impacting their physical or mental health. So in that case, think about driving under the influence of marijuana. A lot of kids will say, oh, I'm a safer driver. Right. But in, in research that's out there, it turns out that people's peripheral vision isn't as good. And often they weave inside the lane, sometimes outside the lane. And the other thing that we really worry about is that split second decision making, because it's really hard to do if your reaction time is just a hair off. So that's another issue. Uh, foregoing your responsibilities at school or at work um, or at home is another issue. Getting into disagreements with your family over your use would be an issue. Uh, having withdrawal symptoms. People have withdrawal symptoms from marijuana. Um, some people develop what's called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. So it's where they've been using enough cannabis marijuana that they start to vomit and it's they have intense vomiting bouts that can last for hours on end. Typically wow. they, they end up going to the emergency room and they find out in the emergency room that there's nothing wrong with their GI system per se, right? So they'll run a bunch of tests. Hopefully more and more ER physicians are asking the question of, are you using marijuana? Because that's what causes it. And the only cure for it is, is to stop. So that's another, they're not. So you up. just start throwing up yeah, uncontrollably? Yeah. The only thing. Is your body not... trying to get rid of it? Is it like well, a reaction to like. I would the... say it's it. I guess you could call it akin to a, an allergic reaction. It's not that your body's trying to get rid of it, but everybody has cannabinoids in your body. They, they manage your mood, your appetite and things like that. And for some people, the use of marijuana overwhelms that system. And when it overwhelms that system, you can develop the syndrome, which is, you know, I've talked to a lot of uh, physicians who say that they are seeing it more and more in states where marijuana is Honestly, legal. Yeah. I yeah. just read that in my Twitter feed from a doctor that said this is showing up in the ER yeah. more and yeah. more, and it's all related to the marijuana. Right. right. I did not know that. Okay. And is the THC contributing to that? Is that, it, there's definitely a feeling from our general, like an older generation, if you will, that marijuana isn't a big deal. Right. And well, that it's not addictive. It doesn't lead to problems. And I feel like that kind of like folklore, if you will, is like transferring to the younger generation thinking that it's the, it's a better drug of choice, if you will. I think there are a few things that are going on. One is that in many states, it came out as a product that was used in medical settings, right? So medical dispensaries, if you will, to treat almost anything short of a hangnail, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and with a, not a lot of evidence behind it. I mean, if you think about any other medication that you take, Kate, you, you're in a situation where the doctor tells you, you know, I'm prescribing amoxicillin and you're going to take one teaspoon twice a day. And I want you to finish the course of treatment. It's going to last 10 days or whatever it is. Right. Right. So there's a very specific um, product that you're buying and you're getting it from a legitimate pharmacy. 
that has vetted it and so forth to make sure that whatever is in the bottle is actually amoxicillin and you take the medication. We don't have that in the medical marijuana world. We have bud tenders who aren't asking you what your medical history is when you come in mm -hmm. and they are prescribing products based upon your, your saying, you know, I've got back pain. Right. So in any event, I think that makes it really confusing for people. Second thing is that, um, you know, you see people who use marijuana in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, where the THC count was pretty low compared to today. And so there's sort of that mindset that, well, uh, you know, when I used it, it was fine and I didn't become addicted and so forth. And yet that is not the product that is on the market today. The products on the market today are so totally different and the THC counts can be extraordinarily high. And I just have well, one more question related to the to the uh, marijuana, because I am kind of hearing this and seeing this, whether ADHD is involved or not, is that it affects motivation. So for some people it does. And for other people, it it doesn't seem to have an effect. So again, like anything else, some people are going to respond to it in one way. Some people, some people enjoy it, have a good time with it. There's no issue, especially, you know, as an adult. Right. And then there are other people who, when they try it, they feel anxious and paranoid. So they typically don't go back to use it. So it's it's really interesting in terms of how it can affect people very differently from one to the next. Yeah. Okay. All right, Pat, we have to keep moving here. Um, okay. Can you educate us a little bit about fentanyl Love to. and how worried we need to be as parents? Sure. So fentanyl is an extremely powerful opioid that has found its way into the U.S. drug supply. So people may have had fentanyl, had, you know, having had surgery or something like that. So they, they may have had it in a hospital setting or in a clinic setting. This fentanyl is being produced in labs, typically in Mexico. The, the materials for it come from China, they go through Mexico and end up in the United States. And What's happened is not only is it being introduced into heroin, products like heroin and methamphetamines, but also it's being incorporated into counterfeit pills. And that's the part that I would be most concerned about as a parent is there are counterfeit Adderall pills out there. They look just like the real thing. And sometimes they're laced with uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl, uh, as I mentioned, is an extremely powerful opioid. What that means is it is anywhere from 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. So you've got this tiny little pill, potentially, that looks you know, like it's no bigger than an aspirin. And yet, if you have not used an opioid, so opioids include Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, and so forth, Tramadol, heroin, and so forth. If you haven't used that and you take one of those pills, it could depress your central nervous system which means it then depresses your breathing. And in many cases, overdoses are happening because people aren't breathing. So the most important thing is that to tell kids to, you know, when you're taking medication, it needs to come, and parents do, it needs to come from a legitimate pharmacy and again, taken as prescribed. And I know, by the way, there was a study last week from UCLA 
where they had looked at pharmacies in northern Mexico because people are sometimes going, I know there's an Adderall pill shortage, right? So people are going to Mexico or to Canada to try to get medications for their loved ones. And they found that um, two thirds of the pills that they were looking at were laced with something. And in the case of Adderall, it wasn't fentanyl, but it was methamphetamine. So again, it just points to the, the really important need to ensure that you're going to a legitimate pharmacy and taking your medication as prescribed. Okay. It's like, the other thing I, I'm going to add yeah. on to that is um, Narcan. So yeah. there is a medication, it's uh, the, the brand name is Narcan, the generic name is Naloxone. And it is a medication that can reverse an overdose in the event that one happens. And we are in favor of having every household in America have Narcan sitting right next to the Band-Aids and the aspirin. Oh, you are? It's, okay. It's really easy to use. It's a nasal spray. So if you've ever used a nasal spray for a cold or something like that, it works the same way. And if I were to give it to you right now, Kate, you, you would just end up with a drippy, runny nose. There wouldn't be any harm caused to you. But if you have any form of opioids in your system, then it will, it can help reverse that overdose and make sure that you're still breathing. Yeah. Okay. So if you were a parent who has a child who's um, experimenting, you think is experimenting with drugs and alcohol, you should probably have Narcan, right? Well, definitely talking about the risk of fentanyl. So I think, again, I would say everyone should have it. And the reason for that is you think about the last time maybe someone in your family ended up with an injury and they were given some Vicodin to take home. Many people keep it in their cabinet for a rainy day. Right. So it's for many people, it's, it's you know, kids, it's easy access. Uh, friends coming over, even, you know, when, when realtors are having open houses, they will tell you to lock up your medication so that people coming through an open house don't take it. So just really important for anyone to have it because it's just such an easy life-saving medication. And you can get it for free, by the way, from many community organizations. And there is training that you can look at online. That's very simple. Like I said, it, it literally is take this nasal spray and put it up someone's nose and you can save a life. Life. So Amazing. I have it at home. I carry it in my car. I carry it in my bag when I go to uh, New York to the office and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's such an incredible life-saving drug. To have, whether you pass somebody on the street or yeah. in your own family or yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It's so scary. It's a, such a scary world. Okay. So when you're a parent um, who has a teen and young adult, how do you help them navigate the world of peer pressure to avoid these pitfalls yeah. and think ahead and be smarter than their friends? That's such a great question. You know, I can think of as an adult, I can look back on many of the things that I look at that did to push boundaries and wanting that independence, right? Um, but but parenting still means keeping your kids safe. And so, uh, and, and I realize, you know, it may be a little bit different for teenagers than it is for young adults, but 
first thing is having conversations about it, right? So, and it should be an ongoing conversation, not I'm going to sit you down, Kate, we're going to have the drug talk. (laughs) Um, Not particularly helpful. But from an early age, right? So we're talking about, you know, in elementary school, you can start educating kids about here's why we take, you know, one gummy vitamin and not the whole bottle and, you know, help kids understand that. And then obviously as they get older, talking about um, the importance of really treating medication as medication. Then it's important also to, to understand that they are going to be exposed, whether it's on television, um, social media channels from friends or what have you and asking them questions like, you know, what would you do if someone offered you a drink? What would you do? What do you think the consequences are of people's smoking marijuana? So just even engaging in those kind of conversations, you know, often I find like I'm walking down the street, get a big whiff of marijuana and it's easy doing, you know, when you, when you smell that to turn to, your, ch- your child and, and say, you know, what do you know? What do you think about it? You know, what, what's the upside of marijuana use? What's the downside? So really trying to get them to think about it. So I think that part is really important. Um, and one thing I would also note is that fear tactics don't work. <laughs> so, you know, you could tell them that, you know, oh my God, you're going to overdose and, you know, you're never going to get into the college of your dreams if you, you know, try marijuana or what have you. That is not going to work because they're going to have some friend that tried it. Nothing bad happened to their friend. So staying away from fear tactics is really important. Okay. Um, I also think it's important to help your kid understand how to get out of a situation that they might find themselves in. So, you know, what are those refusal skills? Some parents will have a text X plan where if I am, you know, my kid is at a party and they're really concerned about what's going on and they feel like things are starting to go out of, go sideways, they can text X to me and I will make up some excuse to text back to them about why I'm coming to pick them up right now. Oh, that's so a that, good idea. So I can get them out of the situation. And often, you know, many parents will do it with a caveat that says, we won't talk about anything that happened until tomorrow morning. The reason being everybody can be a little calmer and so forth. And I think that that can be helpful. Um, If you do find they've experimented, I think it's really helpful or they're using to any degree. It's important to ask why. And not not like, why are you doing that? But more like, you know, what is it that, you know, how does it help you? Or what is it doing for you in that sort of tone with a, a real genuine sense of curiosity? When you find out the why, you can then figure out, okay, my kid's bored. My kid was succumbing to peer pressure. My kid can't sleep at night. My kid feels like they don't fit in at all. My kid is anxious, whatever it is. And then you can hone in on how do I need to strengthen those coping skills, whatever, you know, for whatever it is. So as an example, um, I was working with a mom whose son has ADHD, uh, was smoking marijuana in the afternoons after school, and she caught him in his bedroom, right, vaping marijuana. So they had a conversation about it, and he was feeling really isolated and, um, and lonely. And so the one thing he happens to be reasonably decent at is tennis. And so she decided to try and put him in group tennis lessons after school. So it would help him feel less isolated. It would give him something to do to fill that period of time. 
And, you know, is that a guarantee he's never going to use marijuana again? Absolutely not. But it is addressing one of the one of the reasons that propelled him to use it in the first place. The other thing I would say is what you model matters. So if you come home from work and it's been a tough day and you light up a joint and say, oh, it's just really been a struggle today <laughs> and you know, you're taking your puffs or, you know, pouring yourself a big glass of scotch and guzzling it down. You are even if you don't say anything, you're you're signaling to your kid that this is how I deal with stress. So right. and that's not to say that adults can't use substances because they do. But I think it's really important to help your kid understand how you manage stress in a healthier way. Yes. Okay. Good advice. Okay. And then if you're worried about addiction being a problem, what should a parent do? So first of all, I think there are risk factors that parents should be aware of. Partnership to End Addiction has a risk assessment tool that families can use to go through a series of questions. I think there are 19 of them in total. And it will tell you for each question why we're asking the question. And then at the end, you get a report that spells out, here are the risk factors that you identified, and here are things you can do to mitigate those risks. So we wanna intervene as early and often as possible um, before a problem ever starts, right? So just kind of trying to set the right foundation. That said, you know, some kids will develop a problem. And I think, again, intervening early and often is important. In the first situation, you know, like when you first encounter it, it's sort of assessing, you know, like, what do I think needs to be done here? So asking the why is important. Sometimes you parents can implement some behavior management strategies that will change the person's behavior so that they don't continue to use substances. In other cases, you may need to consult with a professional. So you could go to a faith leader, you could go to a school counselor, you could go to a a private counselor, what have you, and have an evaluation done. And the evaluation will tell you, you know, the extent of the problem and what sorts of, um, you know, interventions are available to help. Oh, and when I say, so you can have an evaluation on how it, addicted or not addicted you may be? Sure. So there are different levels. There's mild. So there are 11 11 symptoms, if you will, typically that define addiction. And if you have two to three, it means it's a mild case. If it's um, four or five, it's moderate. And if it's six or more, it's severe. And so depending on that, it may be that um, a little bit of family counseling will help. Sometimes it's individual counseling will help. Very rarely do kids need to be carted off to a, re, you know, a rehab. I mean, often people think, oh, you know, my, my kids got an addiction problem. Now I've got to get them off to rehab. Yeah. But that is, there are outpatient programs that people can go to. They typically run uh, three hours either in the morning or in the evening. So if a kid's going to school, they could go to the program in, in an early evening for three days a week. Um, And that will go for a couple of months to try and get people back on track and understanding what are their triggers? What are their high risk situations? Um, Sometimes it means different medications can help depending on what substances they're using and things like that. They're also, you know, for kids that are vaping, they're great quit apps that are out there. So going, if you go to the truth initiative, they have a 
wealth of resources on how to quit vaping and you know that can be very very helpful so uh yeah so evaluation can be the way to go and, yeah, and like it's that's a, terrific does partners to end addiction do that evaluation like we is do there not a, do we do not do the evaluation, but we do have on our website what's called your child's treatment roadmap. And it walks you through a series of questions. And depending on your answers, it will tell you where to go next for help. That's fantastic. It is. It's actually a really good tool. The other thing, Kate, is we have a parenting skills course that is free. All of our services are free, by the way. Most of them are bilingual English Spanish. So right. the skills, the skills class really talks about understanding what substance use is all about and understanding the why behind why people use substances. So again, whether it's, you know, boredom, better sex, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, needing more energy, can't sleep at night, whatever it is, right? So understanding the why, then it goes through different communication skills. So often, as you might surmise, it can be hard to talk to a teenager. So yes. you, you feel like what you're saying is either falling on deaf ears or it implodes completely and they tell you you don't know what you're talking about. And so that the course has um, three different sections on communication skills that are incredibly helpful. And then the next section is on um, behavior management. So it's ways to use affirmations, ways to use uh, rewards and incentives to get your kid to engage in more of the healthier behaviors you want to see. And then the final section is really on setting limits and how to impose consequences, how to allow natural consequences to happen. Um, aside from what I typically hear from parents is, you know, I took their phone away and after that, I don't know what to do or I grounded them and I don't know what to do. So it really yeah. is kind of talking through some other ideas about how to help make the consequence match, you know, to, to what the behavior is that you're trying to change. Yeah. And okay. again, that sounds very ten, helpful. There are 10 lessons or 15 minutes a piece, roughly it's online and it's free. Terrific. Yeah. The price okay. is right. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Pat. You've been a wealth of information. Oh, this my pleasure. Really, Kate. really helpful. I appreciate it. So just one last thing, Kate, our, yeah. our website is drugfree.org. And so anybody can go there and look under prevention, you can look under treatment, you can look under recovery, and you'll find a wealth of resources. And then Recuerzos en Español is up at the top right hand corner of the page. Click on that and it'll take you to all of our Spanish language resources. Great. Thank you. You're welcome.